if you would take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts please chapter 21 if you're visiting with us you can pull that black Bible in the chair in front of you pull that out and go to page 111 go towards the back of that Bible page 111 111 you'll find Acts 21 we'll start in verse 17 and go to verse 26 17 to 26 this morning I'm sure all your allergies are acting up with this wind so forgive me for clearing my throat all the time Acts 21 Starting in verse 17, I'll read our passage 17 to 26 and then we'll dive in. Paul and his companions, they're traveling to Jerusalem. They've arrived, 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And now the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. And after he had greeted them, He related one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are zealous for the law. And they've been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads and all will know that there's nothing to the things which they have been told about you but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. The title read Platt asked state papers to encourage unity that was in the Baptist press this past Wednesday article says International Mission Board President David Platt has asked Baptist state papers to encourage unity among Southern Baptists following the announcement next week which is going to be this week of how many IMB personnel have left the board through a series of voluntary resignation programs. Just a side note, all of you would remember I've mentioned to you that the International Mission Board, which is International Missions, the arm, uh, right arm of the Southern Baptist Convention that sends out missionaries throughout the world, they spent more money than they were bringing in. So they have to downsize six to 800 personnel. The article goes on. Platt says, As we announce a number next week at a February 23rd to 24th IMB trustee meeting in Richmond, Virginia, Platt says, 
I know that the reality of so many IMB missionaries making transitions will set in in a fresh way across the SBC. And I know there's an adversary who would love to use that to breed discouragement and division and disunity. And I just want to ask you brothers and sisters for your help in encouraging the churches. End quote from David Platt. The article continues, in response to a $210 million difference between gifts from churches and expenditures since 2010, the IMB launched a two-phase quote-unquote organizational reset in August, which included a voluntary retirement incentive, VRI, for personnel 50 and older with five or more years of service and a hand-raising opportunity, HRO, for all remaining staff and missionaries to voluntarily resign and receive a benefits package. So why would David Platt ask this? Because he knows that this has the potential of breeding contempt and disunity among Southern Baptist churches. Oh, wait a second. Why is that guy having to read? Did you make him retire? Right. Did you make him leave? That, that's the potential. That's why Platts asked him. Let's, this is going to possibly bring division, disunity. Platt knows just how important gospel unity is. Which leads us to our passage. Acts, just do it. Be who you are. Let God use us. Let God use you to fulfill His mission. And in our passage today, we will see what furthers His mission is gospel unity. Gospel unity. We should take gospel unity we should take it seriously too. We should think of it important too. It should be significant to us as well. What furthers his mission is gospel unity. Here's a statement for you. We must be willing to surrender anything and everything for the sake of gospel unity within this local church and beyond. Since the gospel is most essential, we must allow others to live according to their conscience. In other words, we give up our liberties for the sake of gospel unity. Now, I'm not saying there's no need for diversity. We should have diversity within our local churches. And express it with love and grace. Yet we should be ready to surrender any type of expression that could offend others for the sake of gospel unity. It's for the sake of gospel unity. The gospel is the very fabric of this unity because... As God the Father has brought us near to Himself through the blood of Jesus Christ, establishing peace with us. He has also established peace with each other through Christ's blood. We have peace with each other now. 
We have peace with God, and therefore we can have peace with each other. There's vertical peace and horizontal peace. There's vertical reconciliation and horizontal reconciliation. If we can't have horizontal reconciliation, what makes us think we can have vertical reconciliation? I mean, it's the very fabric of the gospel. And if people see churches that are fighting and conflicting and arguing over blah, 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 that things that just don't matter, well, they have every right to judge us, don't they? How is that going to further the gospel? It won't. As Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, which what we've been studying on Wednesday nights, we are one new man. We're one new person. All from different diversity. Now, your body, not, not your, your whole body's not an eye. It's not an ear. What if your body was one big bunch of toes? You would smell all the time. Ill. But there's all these different parts, but it works together to walk and to run, to do all the things, to do dishes, to vacuum, to lift weights, to do all these things, to work, to sing, and to, to talk to your grandkids. But it's one body. Diverse, but one. In short, Paul goes to Jerusalem and ends up showing his faithfulness to the law as a way to keep unity and peace with Jewish Christians. Some people have said that Paul got this all wrong and he was disobeying and he shouldn't have done this. What? Are you crazy? Paul did this. I'll put it differently. James asked Paul to be sensitive to Christian Jews who continue to practice and they continue to live according to the law as Jewish Christians. And James is telling Paul, be sensitive to them. Paul was a loyal Jew who reached out to Gentiles, who reached out to non-Jews, which should not be considered anti-Jewish. He was committed to the gospel unity, showing it by honoring James's requests with these four men who were under a vow. But why would Paul do something like this? Why would he even bother with this? Uh, when, when Jews from the province of Asia totally misrepresented him, which is what we'll see in a moment. I mean, think about it. He had money from all the Gentile churches, which we find out in, in other letters in, in 2 Corinthians. He could have just brought the money and then pff, split the next day, Right? Paul was willing to put himself at risk for the sake of Jewish Christians who valued the law. He valued gospel unity. He valued the gospel. Brothers, sisters, how far are you willing to go to keep the unity of the gospel? To what extent will you keep gospel unity in this church? What or which preferences are you willing to give up for the sake of gospel unity? Are you even willing to die for gospel unity? So that you won't offend your brother or sister? 
because you love them too much and you love the gospel. You love Jesus Christ too much. Is not the gospel worth it? Is not Jesus Christ worth it? Is this not a practical way we as a local body can live out the very gospel we proclaim to others? You can be reconciled to God. You can have peace with God. Right, 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 right. But you can have peace with God. Well, that makes a lot of sense. There's infighting in the churches, and yet we're telling people how you can have peace with God, and yet we don't have peace with each other in a local church. Local churches, they argue over the stupid color of the carpet. It's ridiculous. Why is it happening? It hasn't happened here. We'll change the color of the carpet next week, friends. It's going to be hot pink. So Daniel picked it out. So you have a problem, just talk to Daniel after the service. Thank you. He'll take uh, comments afterwards. They do. They, they argue over these stupid, silly, idiotic, moronic things. And then we proclaim the gospel. We say, God loves. We say, God forgives. We say, God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son. And yet we're not willing to give. That's what God did. He gave Himself for sinners. Are you here today? You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. God gave Himself for sinners. You do deserve wrath. You do deserve His judgment. And yet He will save you and show grace and compassion because He sent Jesus who lived, who died for sinners and rose from the dead. Turn away from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And He will save you. That's the gospel. He'll bring peace. You are his enemy. He'll become a friend. That's the gospel. Should we not show that in our commitment to gospel unity? Another question. Make sure you read the first part of the statement. Eternally speaking... Amongst us as church members, are we willing to give up our eternal relationships with each other over this ridiculous election? Well, I'm for Trump. Well, I'm for Hillary. Well, I'm for Bernie. Well, I'm for Cruz. Well, I'm for Marco. Well, I'm for blah. Who stinking cares? Look, and you might be like, well, wait a second, Jim. Go vote. I'm with you on that, okay? Look at the first word, eternally speaking. Keep things in check, friends. Eternally speaking, are we really willing to give up relationships that we're going to have forever for that? Another example, someone offends you over something that they do. Are you willing to throw away that eternal relationship because of that? Where's the commitment to the gospel? Where's the commitment to loving each other within and because of driven, what's driving us, what's motivating us is the gospel. 
These preferences go both ways. Things you think you should not do and things you think you have the freedom to do. Do we flippantly hold our freedoms in the face of other believers? Music. Alcohol. Politics. Things that we wear. I, I understand modesty. I get that. Not too tight. Not too short. I understand that. I get that. But is it, well, it's got to be five inches below the knee or else it's sin. Really? Music, alcohol, clothes, politics, TV, movies. How do you spend your money? To what end are we willing to show grace to each other? If the gospel is most essential, shouldn't we be willing to give up anything and everything, no matter what it is, except for the gospel itself? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be known by this? Uh, uh, people that are diverse and yet we're so committed to Jesus Christ who's the center of the gospel. Right? By all means, Jewish believers could continue to live by the law of Moses as long as it did not replace salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And as long as it does not alienate or compromise associating or reaching out to Gentiles. Live according to your conscience. Don't judge another, another's way of living. Be sensitive to those within the believing community. Other ways you can put that. That's right. Other ways to, to describe and define what is gospel unity. Paul never persuaded Jewish Christians to live like Gentiles. He just told them to be sensitive. And he displays it here. So there's our introduction. Let's go to our text now. I'm going to give you three questions and I'm going to, we're going to look at a key statement. Or like a concluding statement. Three questions we'll first dive into. Question number one. Who needs gospel unity? Those weak in faith. 17 to 21. Who are the ones who need gospel unity? Well, everyone needs it, but specifically in our text. Those weak in faith. Notice how it begins. In verse 17, they finally arrive, Paul, with his entourage. Luke is with them. That's why you, you see the we. There's a warm welcome. Maybe there's a representative delegation from the church. 18, following day, Paul went in with us to James. All the elders were present. James was a leader or the leader of the Jerusalem church. Notice, no apostles were there. No Peter, no John, no Thomas. They're not there. And how Luke describes this in verse 18 it conveys some type of uh, like a formal meeting. Because then in 19, they greeted, he greeted them, and then Paul related one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, that first part of verse 20. 
Paul reported all, all, all these things God was doing, how many responded to the gospel. It's a positive report. James and the elders are excited and yet they're nervous. There's a little bit of tension and you end up seeing what that tension is. But Paul, Paul was the representative for the Jerusalem church of missions, ministry towards the Gentiles. They knew that. They're excited. little side note. Get the time frame. It's 57 AD. Jewish nationalism was on the rise. Seven years later would begin the revolts in Jerusalem, 64, 65 AD. That's 66, a major revolt. And then until 70 AD, that's when Romans said, that's it, we're done. And they came in and wiped out everybody in Jerusalem. Remember that? So Jewish nationalism, 57 AD, it's beginning to rise. And there's a little bit of political unrest. So any, uh, any reaching out to Gentiles, these loyal Jews, they viewed it with great suspicion. And the Jerusalem church is caught in the middle between a rock and a hard place here. They, they, they want to preach to Jews, but they want to reach out to the Gentiles. So, so this is what's going on, so what's happening. So, so they're excited, and yet mm, the air is tense. They're so glad. They glorify God. They praise the Lord because of the work among the Gentiles. But God was bringing Jews in Jerusalem to faith in Christ too. We have a concern. You see, brother, 20. How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believe and they're zealous for the law. This large group of Jews, thousands, who had responded to the gospel were zealous for the law of Moses. They kept it and they aimed at keeping it. They were going to continue to keep it. In other words, as God had worked among Gentiles, He also worked here among the Jews in a big way. And they paid honor to the Torah. They were zealous for the law. In reference to their lifestyle as, as Jewish Christians, they were Christians, they followed Christ, they followed Jesus, uh, but they followed the law. That's just what they did in terms of their lifestyle. They lived by the law. And they've been told about you. Verse 21. You were falsely told. You were teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Forsake is actually the word which means to apostatize or to defect from Moses. How? Two ways. One, by not circumcising their children. And two, you tell them not to walk according to the customs of the law. This is only partly true. He did not teach Jews not to observe the law, but he also did not insist on observing the law where Gentiles were involved. In other words, Paul taught Gentile Christians to be sensitive to their Jewish brethren, but also for Jewish Christians to be sensitive to their Gentile brethren. But there's false reports. He's telling them, all the Jews that are among Gentiles, ah, obey all the law of Moses, 
Don't circumcise your children. Deal with them. Don't walk according to those customs. Forget them. False charges. False accusations. In no instance whatsoever did Paul encourage Jewish converts to abandon the law or its customs. But he clearly taught the new Jewish converts that the law is not a requirement for salvation, nor is it needed to sustain one's salvation. You live it according to your conscience. In other words, observing the law was not an issue of gaining God's approval or acceptance. One must live according to their conscience, holding their liberty in Christ with grace and sensitivity. What's essential is the gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repent and trust in Him alone. That's what's essential. And sustaining gospel unity among them. That's what's essential. That is what's most important. Paul taught Gentiles that they did not need to become Jews to receive God's grace. He taught Jews that their Jewishness and abiding by the law did not gain them anything with God. And he taught for both of them, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's salvation. So Paul knew this. He knew these were false accusations. Shouldn't they just blow off these false accusations? Shouldn't they just come on? Yeah, it's not true. Well, yes, of course. But isn't gospel unity more important? Friends, the fact that Paul went ahead and did something to show that unity in the gospel was much more important than his liberties, that's huge. That shows grace. For the sake of gospel unity and to win people to the gospel from every context, Paul felt the freedom to live in Jewish ways among Jewish people, but not in Gentile company. And for the sake of gospel unity and to win people to the gospel from every context, we should be free to live according to our conscience, but not to the detriment of our Christian brethren. Gospel unity. And so who needs this? Those who are weak in faith, those who think they have to abide by this and do this, those are the ones they need to be under, they need to understand. No, gospel unity is what we need. We need gospel unity. Now, what's the thing that brings gospel unity? You surrender your liberties. That brings gospel unity. You surrender your liberties, 22 to 24. 22, so what are we going to do? They're confident of, of Paul's true gospel-centered, um, liberty-sensitive orthodoxy. They're, they're totally conv convinced of it, but not the others. They'll all hear that you're here. So do what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them, purify yourself along with them, pay their expense in order that they may shave their heads, and all will know there's nothing to the things that they've been told about you, but that you yourself walk, also walk orderly, keeping the law. These guys run a vow. Pay the price of the offering. Everyone will know you respect the law. 
and still see it to be valid by honoring it. Well, why, 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 why do we have to do this? So, the vow purific or purification he would do was probably for Gentile uncleanness as he would approach the temple. In other words, returning from Gentile territory, if Paul would follow the law, he would need to do a seven-day period of ritual purification before coming for temple worship. That's what he would have to do according to the Jewish law. So as he began his purification week, there would be an offering on the third day and then there would be another offering on the seventh day which would be the completion, the fulfillment of that purification. And he's also paying the cost for, 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 for those four guys. So that's a, an act of charity, a pious act of charity. He would show there's nothing to these false accusations. He's following the law. He walked orderly. He was keeping the law. So see, keep in mind, Paul would stay then in Jerusalem for seven days. Every day he was there, his life was more and more in jeopardy. Because he was there longer. He could have just blown in. Here's the money. I'm out. See you later. James, no. Not going to happen. I'm not going to do that. Somebody's going to get wind of me being here. And they're going to try and kill me. Uh-uh. I'm not going to do that. This ritual would be like an act of confession. Confessing the validity of the law in the temple for the Jewish people, Jewish Christians. Yet his action would not be compromising the truth of the gospel, implying the need to obey it in addition to faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't teach that. He, Paul didn't believe there should be, you do this in addition to faith in Jesus. We, just, we should know that. I mean, this should not surprise us with Paul because he has stated that he would become a Jew in order to win Jews to Jesus Christ though he was no longer religiously a Jew First uh, Corinthians 9 for though I am free from all I've made myself a slave to all that I might win the more to the Jews I became as a Jew I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law though not my, being myself under the law that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without laws, without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And then verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. People use this verse to say, well, I'm going to contextualize. No, friends, this verse should be used to show I'm going to let go of my liberties for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of unity, so I will not offend. So for conscience sake, this, this, is, how, this is how do you do gospel unity? You let go of your liberties to win souls and to not offend.
Which leads us to the third question. Who are the ones who give gospel unity? The ones who are strong in faith. They are the ones who should be giving gospel unity. See, you would think the ones who are strong in faith, they should be like, yeah, I'm strong in faith. What's your problem? I'm okay with this. How come you have a problem with this? No, instead they should say, you know, I'm going to give them my liberties for your sake, those who are strong in faith. Which is what we see in verse 25. Interesting. It's the Gentiles who are strong in faith, not the Jews. 25, but concerning the Gentiles who have believed we wrote having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from one strangled and from fornication. It's those who are strong in faith that show the importance of gospel unity. As far as Gentile practice was concerned, the, the, the elders in James are saying, we still abide by what we said a few years ago. Acts chapter 15. Abstain from meat, sacrifice to idols, from blood, with string, and fornication. Now the last part we can figure out, fornication, pff, okay, moral code, yeah, we got it. But what's about the other ones? What's that all about? As we talked about this last time, these behaviors were typical Gentile. And they offended the Jews. Fornication? Yeah. I mean, obvious, right? But what about the meat sacrifice, idol, blood, strangle? What, 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 what's all this? See, these were done within pagan idolatry and worship. And so they're regarded as sinful too. In the least, they were offensive. And so we talked about last time, we looked in Acts chapter 15, when everything was going on, with these Gentiles are coming to faith, and... and the elders, along with the apostles, they came together and said, Look, this is what we should present to them. This is how they can show their sensitivity to their Jewish brethren in reference to fornication, what's strangled in the blood, and meat sacrifice to idols. Because of the connection of idolatrous worship, the call was to be faithful to the one true God, being moral in worship, and also being sensitive, sensitive to issues of unclean animals and eating strangled animals without draining blood. In other words, be gracious to the Jewish brethren. Keep peaceful relations with your Jewish brothers and sisters. Be careful, Gentiles, not to have any association with things that promoted idolatry. Do you have the freedom to do that? Yes, you have the freedom. You can eat that meat sacrifice idols, but what it comes across is that you are worshiping that idol. When you go into the temples and you're like, hey, what's going on? Billy, good to see you. Yeah, can I have that meat? Not a problem. Awesome. The Jewish buzz, they see you doing that. They're like, oh, that guy's worshiping. He's doing idolatry. That's sinful. And they could be promoting idolatry. Don't do that, Paulus, uh, the elders were saying. We still abide by that. Be careful not to have any association with things that promoted idolatry or could come across as promoting idolatry. It's just as important to have gospel unity as keeping these commands. Respect the practices. Respect their cultural concerns. That will lead to peace. By the way, it served as a testimony to non-Christian Gentiles that they, the Christian Gentiles, have changed the way they live. We live for the Lord Jesus now. We don't live for this temples and we don't live for these idols anymore. We don't live for that. They're the ones that give. 
they're the ones that give gospel unity because they're the ones that decide to give up their liberties. It's those who are strong in faith. Leads us to our last statement. Key statement or concluding statement so to speak. The gospel unity put into action or the gospel put into action or gospel unity put into action. I put those in parentheses because you see the whole thing happening here in verse 26. Because this is what Paul does. He does it. He was proclaiming it and now he does it himself. Then Paul took them in. The next day. He doesn't go, you know what, I'll do it next week in a couple days. No, the next day. Right after he meets with them. He purified himself. Went into the temple giving notice of the completion of the days of purification. Until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. There would be a sacrifice on the third day for him. And there would be a sacrifice on the seventh day. And then he paid for, their, to, for them to do their sacrifice. Paul was sensitive to Jewish Christians whose consciences would have been violated if this falsity was proved true. One writer puts it like this, quote, Into this minefield of ritual requirements and prohibitions, Paul willingly stepped, perhaps anticipating the dangerous consequences that followed, end quote. Why did he do this? Because he was committed to gospel unity. He did not want to offend. I don't have it on the screen, but 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians 8, 12. Paul says, So by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Why is gospel unity so important? Because if that person who's weak in faith, you make them stumble, you are sinning against Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say? So, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meats again. That would be horrible. Can you imagine no more steak? Oh, that'd be horrible. Holy cow. Dave, you're with me on this. Oh, that would be horrible. I will never eat meat again that I might not cause my brother to stumble. That's how committed he was to gospel unity. Paul was asked to show cultural sensitivity for the sake of gospel unity without compromising the gospel itself. We must be willing to let go of any and even all of our liberties for the sake of gospel unity in this body and for the sake of gospel proclamation that comes out of this body. Paul willingly restricted his freedom for the sake of gospel unity. And really, this is an act of kind generosity. Taking the time to give to another which is another way we display the very gospel that we proclaim we give should that person weak in faith should they not see that that is absolutely ridiculous that they get offended by that yeah they should but you give on their behalf we, we give to another for their sake 
it is giving to someone even though we may think that they do not necessarily deserve it. Did we deserve God's grace, His love, His mercy, His kind generosity in the Lord Jesus Christ? No, not at all. Yet He gave up His absolute rights to save us, to show that He is gracious to sinners. I mean, as Americans, yeah, we got rights. When you think about it, the only one who has rights is the one who's the creator of everything. He's got rights. And He gave up His rights so we can live. He gave up those rights. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. And He was obedient to the point of death. Even death, where? On a cross. So that He can show He's gracious and kind loving and merciful to sinners. I mean, who is the one who displays the very gospel that we proclaim? The Lord Jesus Christ. How far are you willing to go to keep the unity of the gospel? How far are you willing to go? To what extent will you keep gospel unity in this church What or which preferences are you willing to give up for the sake of gospel unity? Are you even willing to die for gospel unity? Paul was. He was willing to go the farthest, even risking his own life. Remember I told you? He stayed in Jerusalem for seven days. The next verse. And when the seven days were almost over, He was putting his life more and more in jeopardy. More, every single day he's there. The second, the third, the fourth. He was putting his life in jeopardy. But he was willing to do that for the sake of the gospel. Now that's truly living out the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's what you see in Paul. Father, help us. Help us as a church to make the gospel, to be certain that the gospel, to be sure that the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, is what is most essential to us in this church. So that... we will display peace and grace and compassion to each other. And as we proclaim the gospel, as we proclaim that you give, that people will see us and they will say, you go to that Cottonwood Bible Church? Wow, that's a really kind bunch of people. They're really kind to each other. You guys are for real. May your grace work in us. May your compassion be the motivation in us. Take some time and ponder what we've seen in God's Word this morning.
think, ponder, mull over in your minds. And after a few moments of silence, we do our time of giving, sing our last two songs with our closing prayer. So sit, think, ponder, and pray.